Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, July 13th. It's not Friday the 13th, which will be bad if you're superstitious. So don't be afraid. But what should scare you is health insurance that doesn't really cover anything if you get sick. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. HHS's crackdown on junk health insurance and other measures to make care more affordable for consumers. To tell us how much these new measures will help are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, I'm in Boston, and it's a beautiful day. I'm here for the Healthcare Leadership Council meetings tonight and tomorrow at Harvard. That's Amitabh Chandra's Health Policy Egghead Group, of which I am a longstanding and proud member. I'm actually on a panel tomorrow, Dave, where Amitabh wants me to discuss the aggregate size of revenue cycle management. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll enlist an economist or two to help me write an article on it. Oh, good luck with that. That's great. Thank you. Julie, how are you? I am well. I feel like I'm in the throes of summer parenting where I'm trying to balance work and driving kids to camp and jobs and, you know, making too many bagels when they know how to use the toaster. But, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite quite a juggling act. Thank you. Now, before we talk about President Biden's latest attempt to lower health care costs, let's talk about what scares you. And maybe that's what scares you. I don't know. Dave, any superstitions we should know about? Well, I never eat red jelly beans. I never ride the bus on Thursdays. I don't change my underwear when the Minnesota Twins are on a winning streak of more than three games. I'm just kidding, Dave. I don't believe any of that crap. But I do have a funny story from my days as a Peace Corps volunteer and soccer coach in Africa. I showed up for one game and both teams were standing on a retaining wall because someone had convinced them that whichever team touched the field first was going to lose the game. It took me the better part of 45 minutes to negotiate with the other coach a solution which required all the players to simultaneously jump down on the field uh, so we could play the game. And we won, so superstitions be damned. Wow. You see, I I was going to believe that Minnesota Twins superstition. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I thought. I thought it was going to be a quiz, and we were to pick. That's the one I would have picked. So. Well, they never win more than three games in a row, so my underwear is generally clean, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Julie, do you throw uh, salt over your shoulder, knock on wood, or avoid black cats? So funny. I don't think about myself as being particularly superstitious, but I knock on wood all the time. I definitely would never walk under a ladder. And I cross my fingers a lot these days, thanks to emojis, frankly. (laughs) And of course, I believe in making a wish when you blow out the birthday candle. So maybe I am a little superstitious. Ah, the truth comes out. That's great. Uh, My list of superstitions is a mile long. So I'll just mention one. When I see a clock and it says 1111, that could be a.m. or p.m., I say a prayer. So I am nuts. Wow. And, and I don't even remember how that started. You know? So that's so, not even like 1212, it's just 1111? 11, 11. Just 1111. 11. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I got to look that up. I can't be the only one. 
Well, if I am the only one, I'm, that's a problem. Whenever it gets, whenever it gets to Seven Eleven, Dave, I just want a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, terrible coffee. Terrible. Oh, that's great. All right, it's a good segue to this topic. Let's talk about the sanity of Biden's new plan to make care more affordable for consumers. The new plan has three parts. The first part is proposed rules that would close loopholes that allow short-term health plans to avoid consumer protections established by the ACA. Such plans stick members with unexpectedly high medical bills by not covering what the members thought was covered. The second is guidance to clarify and strengthen existing rules that implement the No Surprises Act. The guidance basically tells payers and providers to stop playing games with in-network and out-of-network provider designations, and stop disguising balanced bills as facility fees. I didn't even know that happened. And the third is launching a multi-agency investigation of third-party medical credit cards and loans to find out whether they're following the same consumer protection laws as other credit cards and loans. Dave, do you think these actions are a step in the right direction? Uh, If so, how big a step? And if you ran HHS, what one other policy action would you add to this list? Uh, These initiatives strike me as more campaign rhetoric than substantive policy reform. I mean, you got to love the hype. Uh, Here's the title of the fact sheet. President Biden announces new actions to lower health care costs and protect consumers from scam insurance plans and junk fees as part of Bidenomics push. But let's discuss scam insurance plans and junk fees and the rest. Scam insurance plans are a real problem. I happen to be reading right now The People's Hospital, which is a a terrific book. It's about the Ben Taub Public Hospital in Houston. And there are numerous horrible stories of people with cheap health insurance that go to their regular hospital or their local hospital and then get sent to Ben Taub because they don't have great insurance or and or the cost of their procedures is going to run unnecessarily high or very high. You know, from a policy perspective, since you asked me about policy, Dave, I believe there should be minimum standards for all health insurance policies that provide adequate coverage when it's needed. Isn't that what insurance is for? On junk fees, surprise bills, unfair medical debt, transparency, pricing transparency is almost always a universal good. There's way too much profiteering in healthcare, and much of it occurs with opaque pricing in back corners of of billing through long risk statements that patients sign, and then you've got lax enforcement to go with it. So what the Biden administration, I think, is really doing is trying to tighten enforcement, but that effort is just a game of whack-a-mole. You know, think about it. The smartest people in healthcare burn the midnight oil to find ways to rig the payment system in their favor. They're supported by the biggest industrial complex in human history, which uses its marketing power and political muscle to tilt that competitive playing field in its favor. Incremental solutions like the one the Biden administration is is proposing, administrative in nature, even necessary, won't move the needle a great deal. New scams and junk products will keep popping up. 
Biden economics and healthcare, or Bidenomics, excuse me, Bidenomics and healthcare is not real economics. Full risk contracting is real economics. Bundles for episodic care, capitation for population health is the way to push through revolutionary healthcare reform. Full risk contracting with appropriate transparency and regulation will lead to more competition, fairer prices, fewer intermediaries, and a system-wide focus on better outcomes at lower prices. Biden CMS just predicted that U.S. healthcare expenditures will exceed $7 trillion by 2030 and consume over 20% of the overall economy. Speaking of superstitions, that should scare the American people to death. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Thanks, Dave. Or you don't. <laughs> or you don't. Right. right. <laughs> Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, Dave, I struggled a little bit with their focus on medical credit cards and loans as an enabler for providers to shift patient billing to finance companies because I see a lot of innovation you know, in our ability to pay on demand and the auto adjudication necessary for that. And some of these innovations that are creating arbitrage models to pay hospitals, you know, cents on the dollar, but a lot more than they get from patient collections and then managing the patient collections. So there's a lot going on there that I actually think is well-intentioned. Do you think their focus on this area are about different vehicles that are not well-intentioned? Like what's your read of that whole thing? Oh, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, you know, just a few thoughts off the top of my head, Jules. Um, first is, I just can't believe how profitable credit cards are. I don't know about you, but we hardly pay for anything on Amazon anymore because of the reward dollars we get from Citibank and, and Amex. And those are a result of the high upfront fees and then interest rates built into these, these credit cards. So part of me thinks, why not apply these same proven consumer strategies uh, to healthcare? But when you go to the providers and, and we're being fair, I think they're trying to manage three or yeah, probably three contradictory goals. First, they want to collect as much moolah as they can. And if they can do it in some of the ways you're describing, um, which actually are better for consumers, but get them more money, they're fine with that. So they want to appear to offer great customer service or even offer great customer service. And they want to also avoid black eyes that come in the public arena every time the New York Times or Wall Street Journal writes an investigative report on their collection policies. But I think there's a darker side too, and that shifting the nasty collection stuff to usurious intermediaries gets them off the hook in the public sphere, but that also can raise overall costs. I, I don't know that we're seeing real value here much of the time. Yeah, it's one thing to pay 27% interest if you miss a credit card payment that you used to buy, you know, hardware or electronics. It's another thing to pay it when you missed a payment because you had a high medical bill. So uh, I do think there is something there. Thanks, Dave. Julie, do you think this three-part plan from HHS will take a big bite out of unaffordable medical care? Or is the agency just nibbling around the edges? And if you ran HHS, what market innovation would you support to protect people from surprise bills and medical debt? 
But the reality is that these three moves are, you know, closely tied to the beginning of the campaign platform. So um, I don't believe they're going to take a big butt out of the healthcare spend. And if we're lucky, you know, as we we're just talking about, many consumers, if they're successful in even making any traction here, will be spared, you know, health plans that don't work for them and a bunch of complex language and hidden fees that they'll never understand. But they're not going to get into the major reducers of the cost. I have to say that the short-term plans are the most disappointing part of this to me because a lot of experts over time have really pointed to the role of catastrophic coverage as a you know a potential benefit in our system of how care is covered. And these short-term plans are really giving reduced coverage a bad name and the way in which they've been commercialized and the complexity in which they're sold. It's just, it's not working for consumers. I saw some very funny things about if you just Google some of these short-term plans, they say they may not be for everybody, certainly for those who have chronic conditions or need to see their primary care doctor often. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah, this, this is the problem. It's the fit. That's the problem. <laughs> so if I were running HSS, you know, I would look at market innovations. We've talked about this a million times. The price transparency would be top of my list. Like it goes a long way to help these issues if you can just create some sort of consumer-driven marketplace. And I also look at provider navigation as being part of that. So this in-network, out-network thing is, is a critical component of all this. But also trying to marry this concept of it's not only price transparency, but it's based on outcomes. What's the best doctor for your types of needs? And then let's layer on the Yelp for the experience. So I would be supporting all of that. And also trying to push needs-based assessment of health plans uh, instead of the way that we're selling health plans today. You, you just There's the, the potential for consumers to buy something that's really not right for them based on what they know they have today or anticipated health issues down the line based on family or DNA or even, you know, some of the predictive analytics that AI is able to produce for us today in our system, we could be doing a much better job. Yeah, helping people be better healthcare consumers. I love it. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, Julie, I know you don't live in California anymore, but I'm curious to get your opinion on how healthcare regulation and enforcement there have functioned. You know, your former state has been more aggressive than almost any other state in regulating the business of healthcare. On balance, do you believe that tighter regulation and more aggressive enforcement have made the healthcare marketplace in California? more or less efficient or both, as well as more or less customer-friendly or both? Yeah, I think California's regulation is sometimes to protect the consumer because it is such a people-first state and sometimes driven by lobbyists and other big market forces that we all know. I'm sure you could put some percentages on that depending upon who you are. But I think the regulation, first of all, let's just talk, talk about the fact that California decentralized decision-making in healthcare, which is just maddening from a management perspective. Um, so that in, in and of itself creates inefficiency. But when you look at how California is regulated, for instance, whether or not hospitals can own physicians or physician groups, I even heard recently that they're putting the kibosh on some of the hospital at home efforts underway. The regulation there has turned out to really mess with natural you know, market evolution that now prevents some very natural roll-ups to happen or mergers and acquisitions to happen and consolidation to happen, which you'd think 
could be good on one hand because provider consolidation is driving up price in many other markets. But on the other hand, there are loopholes to be had everywhere. And it actually creates, you know, a lot more work for any organization and expense to be able to actually engage in kind of natural forces because of the gymnastics they need to to do to create different business units and and business structures. So I guess my very long-winded way of answering that question is no, I don't think it's particularly productive. Thin line between regulation and strangulation, right? We used to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. I'll go back to something Dave uh, talked about. I think we are stuck in this endless cycle of passing a law, someone exploiting a loophole, and then we try to fix it with more regulation. So I really don't know how we get off that wheel. So we will see if this new plan of attack works and makes any difference at all. Okay, let's briefly talk about other big healthcare news this week. It wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, what else happened that we should know about? (laughs) Well, this is bad, actually. I saw a report this week that the maternal death rate rose 89% from 2018 to 2021 and 38% alone from 20 to 2021. And I mean, so many issues related to this, uh, but we are just seeing massive, not only health equity issues, but just mismatches in provider capacity and population now after COVID that it's it's really taking a toll on outcomes. Right. Yeah. And some other research showing that it's disparities are getting bigger and bigger. Yep. That is a, a real shame. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any other news worth mentioning today? Oh, mine's bad too. I've been following the liquidation of the two big insure tech companies, Brighton Friday Health, complete mess, reassigning members, unpaid claims and creditors, risk adjustment calculations, very complex that go multiple ways, conflicting state oversight. The exchange markets appear tougher to crack and disrupt the legacy players than many of the entrepreneurs and investors thought might be worth diving into in a future roundup, Dave. No, great topic. Yeah, I've seen some of that coverage and uh, it's scary. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.